excited about what an awesome time to be alive and I'm thankful this morning that God's word speaks truth into our lives and in moments where we don't know what to do and it seems like everything around us is changing rapidly we can look at the word of God and find truth we can find security we can find direction we can get wisdom uh, in our lives and this morning as we look at uh, unchanging principles of parenting sometimes uh, your kids may accuse you of being old school or, uh, you know, what planet are you from? And uh, that's okay. In fact, uh, years ago, I did that to my dad. I did that to my mom. Uh, I would test them on certain boundaries. And uh, then it was like, uh, now as a father, I remember some of the first times I told my kid, I don't care what everybody else's kid is doing. I, it was almost like a badge of honor, like, you know, man, I've, I've actually uh, arrived because now I'm not just, I'm not the cool dad. And if you're the cool parent, you're probably not doing uh, uh, an adequate job or a great job of actually leading them because they don't need you as a friend when they're in high school. They need a parent who loves them enough to say no and enough to say, here's why. Let me take you to the Word of God and show you why we're not going to do a certain thing or go a certain route or act a certain way because at the end of the day, you're trying to instruct them in righteousness and point them towards a God who can direct their path. And, and as you look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and verses that talk about directing someone's life, you're wanting them to understand the why behind it. You want them to understand the truth from God's Word and how it uh, speaks truth into their life. And so, you know, there's lots of things that are changing. In fact, once you have kids, uh, before you have kids and you see a kid that's acting up at a restaurant, I mean, you're like totally annoyed and you're getting ticked off and you're going, man, why don't someone just take that child and, you know, shut them up? Or you're in a grocery store and a child is acting up and they're pulling things off the, the rack and knocking them on the floor and they're begging and they're crying and they're, they're screaming. You're like, someone please shut that child up. And that's before you have kids because we're all experts at the things that we've never done, you know. And, and especially just look on social media. Everybody has all the answers to everyone's problems. And, but you start, then you have your own kid, and you're in the grocery store, and it's humiliating. And your kid is screaming. And if you've had ever had a four-alarm temper tantrum in the middle of a crowded store, a Walmart, they're wanting a toy, and, and you're saying no, and they're saying yes. And it's a back and forth as, as a parent. And all of a sudden, you feel like about that small, and you're like, if I could just, you know, disappear for these few moments and get out of the store. And uh, there's been a couple times that we've had a tag team, or, or Tana's like, you know, she's texting me and said, I need you to come, and you're going to have to get these kids out of here if we're going to have anything to eat tonight for dinner. We're going to have to have some tag teaming and, and get together. And there's certain things that, you know, once you have that first child, uh, you know, then you have a second child and the third child, our first child, you know, whenever uh, she would drop a pacifier on the floor, I mean, you're immediately boiling water and you're putting that thing in some hot water and boiling it. And, you know, uh, you're just like, man, you can't have the, the, enough of, of everything being perfect. And I remember going to, uh, on vacation when she was just a little thing and it was packed all the way to the ceiling in the car because we had pack and plays and saucers and bouncy seats and car seats. And I mean, you had to have every single thing that you packed up the whole 
entire house to go on vacation. And then we had the second child, and, you know, they dropped the pacifier on the floor at McDonald's, because, yeah, we are those parents, and you drop it on the path, and, and you go in the bathroom, you warm up, put hot water over it, and you're like, that's good, and you slap it back in their mouth. And by the third child, and we have four kids, I mean, by the time the twins came along, I mean, we let the dog lick it, stick it back in their mouth, and just go on. You know, if there's certain things that over time it just kind of evolves and changes and you're like you know what I mean we're just doing good to get to church and all you know have clothes on and shoes that somewhat match and uh, what happened to your shoes I don't even know I mean we, we do our best but there's certain things that are constantly changing and evolving as a parent philosophy of parenting how you deal with each child their personality their temperament is different and so you're learning how to navigate that Look at our passage, a text in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It says, they were bringing children to him, that's to Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and bless them, laying his hands on them. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Those of us, Lord, who are parents or maybe one day will become parents, God, I pray that we would look at these unchanging principles that uh, apply to this area of parenting. Lord, that those that do not have kids or today, it can apply to relationships that they have in their own lives, God. And Lord, may you encourage us and strengthen us Give us that resolve, the confidence through your word, through your Holy Spirit, your power, the strength that you give us to lead our kids into a relationship with you. And God, may you do a mighty work in our hearts and lives. Lord, there may be someone here today who's never placed their faith and trusted you for salvation. God, I pray that this morning, that would be that moment of decision where they understand and confess you as Lord and Savior. And Lord invite you into their heart and life and allow you to have first place and make you Lord of their life, God. We give you all the honor and the glory of what you're going to accomplish this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We look at this story about Jesus encountering the children and we see some unchanging principles of great relationships. We see, first of all, he had a loving touch in verse 13. Jesus is, is welcoming all these kids, and it's just they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. There is a loving and appropriate touch that is so necessary with our kids. They need to have that pat on the back, the hug. They need the love of a mom. They need the love of a dad that they're not going to get in other environments, and they should not be getting in other environments. They need that love. They need the, 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 the tenderness, that relationship. And they brought them to Jesus that he might touch them. And, and folks, there's a power. There's power in a loving and appropriate touch of your kids. There's, there's, there's power in that. In fact, we, we see in the Greek word that's translated here, haptomi, and it means literally to attach oneself. It means to embrace. It means to touch. So when Jesus touched the little children, it's likely that you see pictures. Uh, back in the day, we had the flannel graph stories, and Jesus is kind of sitting back on a rock, so to speak, and the kids are all over him. They're climbing in his lap, and you think of a, a grandparent, a, a, a parent, a dad who has, you've got four little boys, and 
I'm sure there's times that you're, they're all over you in your lap. There's times you're wrestling. Probably times your wife is like, all right, you got to calm this down. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to, but it's like that loving connection. There's a, an attachment that happened. And Jesus, when he touched the little children, he was encouraging them. They were, he was embracing them. He would attach himself in appropriate ways. And, and it was something that is so important uh, for kids and their development and feeling secure about themselves and feeling that loving embrace of a parent. Years ago, King Frederick II in the 13th century had a, an interesting uh, thought that hit his mind. He says, I want to see what happens to a kid, what language they would naturally speak if no one spoke to them. Would they speak English? Would they, what would they? What language would they actually speak if no one spoke to them? You ever wonder those things? I mean, I often wonder. Even a pet, you know, how much do they understand what you're saying when you're talking in that little, you know, childlike voice, like a kid? Do they understand what you're saying? Uh, and my wife's like, she's convinced that it doesn't matter what you say if you say it in that way. I mean, you can get them to do it, especially if you have a treat in your hand. You can get them to do anything you want them to do. But so his his experiment was to see what language would they speak if no one spoke to them. And he hired some caretakers, some ladies who would care for these children. They would feed them. They would uh, change them. They would clothe them. But they were not allowed to speak or touch the child in any other way uh, during this time. And there were 50 babies. They brought in infants. They brought into this experiment. And um, they weren't allowed to show any affection or emotion whatsoever. They could just, you know, there's no talking, no goo goo gaga, none of the talking that we do trying to get a, a young child. And, you know, a, a dad's always trying to get his kid to say, dad, 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 dad. You know, first, and mama, you know, they want them to say certain words first. And you're doing everything to coax them and coerce them into saying your name or whatever it is. The experiment failed miserably. In fact, they said within a year, all 50 babies did not survive. And they said it, was, it wasn't for now malnourishment. It was a lack of, uh, of care, a lack of love and physical nourishment that they were starved from. And I'm curious, you know, this morning, how many of you would say you're naturally more of the hugger type, all right? Not, I know we're living in a pandemic, but you like a hug. I mean, if it's home, if it's, you know, family, uh, sometimes even in the office environment, you're more of the hugger type, all right? How many would say, all right, Pastor, that is the furthest thing for me. I don't want anyone. I mean, I like the periphery around me to be, you know, keep respect the perimeter, you know, around my, my body. You're more of that type of a person, all right? And there's all types. In fact, some of you have been very, very excited during the pandemic because, like, talk to the hand. Stay back. Yeah, give me my space. You don't, you don't want anybody coming close. And, and when they start getting close, I mean, you're starting to get a little nervous. You're backing away. And, and I, I tell you all the time, I take my cues from you right now. If you're comfortable uh, and, you, and people come up and they'll, they'll stick their hand out. And the first time I shook someone's hand, I, it was probably in the summer sometime last year. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to die. I mean, it's just this feeling of, what did I just do? And the person was in sales, and he said, I'm sorry. I just, I, I, it's a habit. I do it all the time. And, I mean, you, you're always extended. And, and as a pastor, I mean, I, early on, I had to put my hands in my pockets because, I, I mean, I talk with them. I, I shake. I, I'm always patting someone on the back, high five. I mean, it's, a, it's just a natural thing. 
Some of you that are the exact opposite, you didn't even raise your hand that you don't like that because the whole experiment is crazy. I, I don't interact with people. I, I like the, 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 and some of you are thinking, you know, if we don't have a handshake in church ever again, it'd be just fine with me. <laughs> some of you are in those places. You're like, I'm thankful for that moment of, of not having, some of you are thinking in communion. You know, I'm glad we don't have to walk up and, and dip the, the bread and, and the juice any longer. Uh, you know, I'd be good with not doing that anymore. And, and, and there's a certain feeling of that lack of interaction. But folks, what happens is people need the interaction. They need the relationships. Even in a, a corporate environment, there needs to be some kind of interaction with other people. And, and some people are more reserved. Mark chapter 6, verse 56, it says, Whenever he came, when Jesus came into villages and cities in the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. When Jesus would go about traveling, speaking, going into different cities and towns and communities. They wanted to get their sick people close to him. If you remember the lady who had an issue of blood, she reached out and just touched the hem of his garment. They wanted to just be in his presence. You think of, of royalty in certain countries, and they want to just get a glimpse of the king or, or, or the princess or the queen, and they want to get just a, a glimpse of that person. They wanted to just touch the hem of Christ's garment, and, and he would be, they would be healed. The word touched appears 20 times in the Gospels in reference to Jesus. Every time, it's talking about healing and his healing touch and how important it was. Studies show that between parents and children that girls, and I have two daughters myself, that importance of, of touch, physical touch between a father and a daughter, appropriate touch, is so vital to their development. And this fact, um, as they're growing up, that increases. And oftentimes in those preteen years when they're starting to go through puberty and and it, it can make a dad feel like very uncomfortable, like, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Their bodies are changing, and they're getting curves. And, I mean, it makes us nervous, and we don't know what to do. And we're like, Mom, you've got to have all those conversations with her. You've got to do all these things. And it makes you nervous as a parent. But, folks, dads, don't back away from your daughters. That is the time they need you. They need that encouragement. They need the arm around them. They need a hug. They need to know that they are loved, that they are complete, that God created them, that they're beautiful, that they are a treasure uh, from God. And they need to understand as their bodies are changing and growing that God loves them and he has a purpose for their. And it's, it is so appropriate that you don't back away and, and shy away from that love and affection as those girls are getting older, because they need to see it in an appropriate relationship. Why? Because as they get out there as a teenager at 15 and 16, guys are going to be circling. I mean, you, you already, I remember, you know, at a certain point, I mean, back in our day growing up, my parents, I mean, you were not calling our house. Uh, you weren't calling a, a girl. So, I mean, 
it's a wonder my sister ever got married, but <laughs> I'm not I'm playing. Play, play. But it was like, you aren't calling this house. Uh, in fact, she's not going to call you either. And, and I was like, it was, a, it was a conversation had to be had between the boy and my dad, and an understanding was made. And even as an adult, you know, Robert, my brother-in-law, I remember, you know, one of the first dates when he came to the house, I mean, it was I mean, she wasn't even living at home, and my dad was like, got there with a gun. I mean, I mean, it's old school, and he was like, you know, if you hurt my daughter, I'm gonna take you out. I mean, and it was a, it was a, a not a laugh. There was no cracker smile or anything. It was like dead serious. I'm gonna take you out if you hurt my daughter. And there's, but there's got to be appropriateness so a young lady understands that God has a purpose and that. That sex is a beautiful thing and God created it within the confines of marriage. They need to know and see an appropriate relationship. Boys need to see that as well. You know, and even with a mom. I mean, there's, uh, you know, all often time a, a boy is, he's like five, six years old, will be a, a mama's boy. And, you know, he wants to hug on mom, hold mom's hand, kiss on mom. But when they start getting, you know, eight or ten years old, that's not cool anymore. I mean, suddenly, I mean, you're like, you can drop me off on the corner, Mom. I don't want you to have to kiss me or hug me as you're dropping me off at school. There's just something about that relationship that begins to change. But folks, they still need it. You know, you can have a, 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 a certain fist bump or a handshake or something, a pat on the back, a, a constant affirmation of your love for them. It's appropriate in those times. Non-sexual touch, touching is is something that's vital for young men and young women as they're growing up. So appropriate touch, then abundant time. Lots and lots of time. Someone answered the question, how do kids spell love? And it's T-I-M-E. That quality time is one of the love, uh, five love languages. Kids need to understand that they are the most important thing in your lives aside from your wife or your husband. Can, can I get a witness this morning? They need to understand that first of all, God is first place, but here on this earth, your spouse is more important than they are. And then they need to understand that they come before the job, the neighbors, the friends, the buddies, the pals, all of the hobbies, they've got to know that they come, they rank higher than all those things in your life. And folks, we have to prove that. Abundant time. Look at what Jesus does in verse 13. People are bringing the kids to Jesus. He's loving on them. He's, he's, he, and and they're, they're trying to say, no, the disciples are like, get away. Jesus is busy. He rebukes them. In fact, the word that is used is he becomes indignant. When, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. The Greek word translated indignant means, in today's term, he was ticked off. He was, he was mad. In other words, he's like, hush, don't speak for me. Because Jesus saw the importance of the children understanding that they have a place at the table, that they are welcome, that they are wanted, that they are loved. 
Where are NASCAR fans? Do we have any racing fans in the building this morning? All right, there's a bunch of you. Uh, you know, NASCAR, you know, racing is a sport, uh, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I didn't, I didn't grow up watching a lot of racing, but, uh, but I mean, NASCAR, you know, people get excited about it. You think about what happens. We, a few years ago, we were in Charlotte. My son wanted to go to the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and and we went, and you could take a tour of it. And we were, you know, looking it all over, doing all this. And uh, my son was like, he was just chomping at the bit to get out there on the racetrack. And they said, you know what? They, uh, we normally, uh, you know, charge for this, but we'll actually take you around the track in, in one of our vans, and you'll get a chance to actually ride on the on the track. And and all. I think they were slow that day. There wasn't a lot of people there. And so the, the guy said, he looked at Malachi and he said, would you like to do that? And I'm sitting here going, that's got to be expensive. I mean, that's probably $60 a person. I mean, times six of us. I mean, we're broke. I mean, we're not, we have to go home tomorrow. I mean, we're not going to do anything else on vacation. And we're sitting here and he said, would you like to go? And he's like, uh, yeah. And so the next thing I know, we're in a 15-passenger van. I'm like, I was a student pastor for nine years. I've driven my share of 15-passenger vans. But not like that. I mean, we get out on that turn and that bank. I mean, I had no idea how high those things are and, and the, 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 the angle of that track. And we're flying around that thing. And I mean, it was absolutely, I mean, I had video I posted on, on, on Facebook back then. I mean, it was absolutely exhilarating. But there's something about a racetrack and, and a race, whenever they come in to the pit row, I mean, there's like 12 to 15 seconds and everything is done. You say, what's happening? They're coming in and, and it's boom, 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 boom. And, and, they, and they're, they're changing out all the tires. They're, they're washing the windshield. Uh, he's eating a Happy Meal. I mean, something. They're, they're, all these things are happening. And in a split second, in like 12 to 15 seconds, they're gone. Oil's been changed. If you ever watch the videos on YouTube, it's like, how does that even happen? I mean, they've changed the oil, they've, changed the, they've added fuel, they've changed all the tires, they've cleaned the windshield, they've done every single thing, and boom, they're out back on the track again. You know what? Sometimes I feel like as parents, we are operating in pit row parenting, and we're using 12 to 15 seconds of time with our kids on an average day, and we think we've done a good job parenting our kids. I'm telling you this morning, you say, well, pastor, that's not realistic. No, the actual number for most dads is 37 seconds of quality time with their children. See what I'm saying? The problem is we are way too busy with other things that we're not making that quality time a priority, the abundant time a priority. And, and folks, According to the article, 37 seconds is the average amount of time that a dad spends with each of his children. 37 seconds, and in that time, you're trying to make sure, did you, did you pass your test today? Did you make a good grade? Uh, did you wear clean underwear? Don't have sex until you get married? And it's like, boom, we're gone. We're done. I've done my job, my duty for the day, and I'm, I'm back to, you know, video games. I'm back to watching my favorite, latest uh, uh, sports game. I'm back to doing my stuff. And the reality is, parents, we're not doing our job if we're not spending quality time talking, building relationships, 
talking about what's going on. Who are you hanging around? Who are the friends? What kind of conversations are you having? What are they doing in their spare time? What, what's their home life like? I'm telling you, if you play with our kids, we know it's like surveillance. My sister's an FBI. I'm not kidding. I'm, 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 she is FBI. But, uh, we're we're going to do some surveillance on you. I want to know, do they go to church? Do they have a relationship with God? And you say, are you serious? Yes, because your child is also going to influence my child. I want to know what kind of home they're coming from. I want to know that mom and dad have priorities and morals and values that they want to instill. Does that mean every single one of them has to be a a pastor's kid? Absolutely not. Because we want to encourage them to build relationships with people and share their faith and and be an influence for the cause of Christ. But but they're not going to go and spend the night at your house if you're a hellion and and you're throwing wild parties and doing, our kids are not going to do that. And folks, what happens is we've got to build relationships. We've got to take time to get to know them, be there emotionally for them, be there in their victory times on the field when they score a touchdown and high-five them, let them know how how proud we are. Be there when they lose, when they have moments of defeat, when they fail a test, when they have to repeat a class or a grade and let them know that we still love them and that we still care about them, that we love them in spite of whatever their problem or issue is. Folks, what happens is, at the end of the day, I don't know how parents do it. Uh, Single parents, I don't know how you do it, doing everything solo, trying to make sure that all of their needs are met, but you do. And folks, you can only do it with the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And all of the things that happen, you know, we make excuses. We make excuses why we don't have time But folks, there's no valid excuse for not taking time with our kids. And I'm preaching to myself in this moment. You say, I don't have time. No, you don't have it. You don't have time not to take time with your kids. In fact, if you don't decide to do it now, you're not likely to do it. Well, Pastor, I'm I'm working on this thing, and once I finish this big project, you know what comes behind that project? Another even bigger project because they know that you were faithful and got that one across the finish line. So they're going to now give you something that's even bigger and even better. And yesterday I was sitting there on the, on the football field and my next door neighbor, one of my neighbors was there. And his mom was sitting beside me and, and she looked at me and she said, you know what? He's had lots of opportunities to move up. She said, but lots of opportunities. He has a great job. And she said, he said, lots of opportunities to advance and go, but every time it was going to require him to move and and to take on more responsibilities and be gone from home. And she said, he has turned down multiple promotions and and advancements in his career so that he could be a dad and a husband. And I thought, that is one of the kindest and best compliments you could give your own child to say he's, he's made a decision. This is their home. This is where he wants to raise his kids. He wants them to be in church. He wants them to have, have a relationship with, his dad, with their dad. And folks, that's vital to our kids understanding that they are important. Reporter asked Billy Graham, if you had to do life all over again, what would you do differently? So it's a poignant question for a man of God. And he says, he didn't say, he didn't say, 
I would have done 10 more crusades and led tens of thousands of more people to Jesus Christ. He didn't say I would have opened up another institute for pastors and Christian leaders and who would have a, a greater impact on the, the kingdom of God. He didn't say I would have written more best-selling books and sold millions of copies that would have affected people's lives all across the, the world. What he did say was I would have spent more time with my kids. We don't get another chance. We don't have another opportunity to back up. If I could just turn back time. No, we don't have that opportunity. We have one chance to get it right with our kids. My schedule is nonstop. I'm on call 24 hours a day. I'm not complaining. In fact, I was telling Someone uh, the other day, I said, I knew what I was getting into. I said, my dad was a pastor, and, and I didn't want this life. But my wife works full time. She takes helps take care of our full ki four kids and making sure that they're eating a balanced diet, that they have clothes and that they're washed and that they have shoes that fit their feet and they get to the dentist and the doctor. And As crazy as our world gets, she always knows where every single one of our kids are and what their needs are and how we as parents can meet their needs. She's constantly keeping me in the loop and she'll say, I had a conversation and she'll name one of our kids and I think you need to follow up with them and talk to them about something that happened at school today. And, and she's constantly coaching them. She's constantly helping me. And folks, I could not do what I do as my job without her being present. But folks, when I get home, I have to be present as a father because those kids don't need a pastor at home. They need a dad who loves them and cares about every single thing that they're going with, going in. And folks, it requires me to stay off of this. And all of my kids will tell you, dad is on his phone too much. He's on his phone. You say, well, why is that? Because not only do I have four kids who are constantly texting dad, FaceTiming dad, and they know that, you know what, there's nothing that's going on in my life that's too important that if they need me, they can get me. I will stop any meeting if I have to to answer my kids or, or be there for them if I have to. But folks, there's hundreds of people across the church that also are demanding of my time. And, and folks, when I get home, I need to be present and in the moment for my own kids. And three or four of them, they're, they're all in the, listening to the sermon this morning. It, it's, but the, that's the biggest thief of time in our household. And folks, I've got to be conscious. It, it's possible for me to pastor everyone else's family and yet miss ministering to my own. It's possible. I'm just being honest with you because I'm saying this abundant time thing is something that each one of us have to carve out and say, I'm going to prioritize my family above all else. And, and, and the, sometimes the good things rob us of the best things. It's possible to be a pastor to everyone else and somehow miss our own family. Recently, I found out I let down a family in a church, in our church, and they were frustrated because I wasn't there when they, when they needed me at that moment. 
You know what the reality was? I did let them down, and I apologize for that. But you know what the reality was? I was with my own family that needed my time and my attention more than what they needed at that moment. And for that, I will not apologize. Because at the end of the day, I have one opportunity to be a good dad to my four kids. And I will stand up before God and give an account for how I raised my family and the investment that I made in my own kids. I'm not going to apologize for that. Malachi loves playing football every single night. Every night when I get home from work, he's like, Dad, can we we throw the football? Dad, can we throw the football? And I'll be honest, my brain is completely shot by the time I get home. I mean, I've when I'm helping people and, and, and counseling people and studying and doing all that, my brain is completely fried. After dinner, he's like, Dad, can we get through the football in the, in the backyard? Or can we get out in the cul-de-sac and throw the football? And I didn't play football. I don't even care about football. I mean, I'm not good at football. But I'll go out there time after time after time and throw the football with Malachi. You know why? Because he wants a dad to be present in his life. You know what he's done? He's helped me become a better football player. He's helped me learn how to throw a spiral just the right way. And and it absolutely is a thrill to him for me to throw the football to him. And folks, it's the most important thing I can do after after dinner is to throw the football with him. Micah, whenever he gets ready to go to school in the morning, I, I, I get up, he's 15, he has his permit, and... I don't really feel like going to school, and I mean, I could put him on the bus and just like let him go, but no, every single morning, I get up, and he drives to school, and I'm the passenger sitting there going, slow down, <laughs> now watch out, I'm doing all these things, and we get to school, and he gets out of the car, and I get out of the car, and I run around and get on the driver's seat, put on the seatbelt, and drive back home, but that 10 minutes of going to school is time for just me and him to invest in him, to talk about what he's going through, to encourage him. He needs a father present in his life. He needs that quality time, abundant time. James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then what, church? It vanishes. We have a, a, a brief moment in time. And then the encouraging talk, you look at verse 16 of our text, says he took them in his arms, and what did he do? He blessed them, laying his hands on them. As Jesus would say to these kids, what did he say? He blessed them. The Word of God doesn't tell us word for word what he says, but he was telling them he was proud of them. He loved them. He he was going to die on the cross for them, and he wants to have a relationship with them, and he's encouraging them in his words. Well done. I'm proud of you. My oldest daughter is home from her freshman year of college. She's working. She's going to take in summer school full-time this summer. And the other day she came home. She said she took her siblings all to get ice cream. And then she took them to the pool afterwards and, and invested in them. You know what I did? I, that night I went in the room and said, I want you to know how proud I am of you. Because there's a million other things you could have done. And yet you came home and you're reinvesting in your siblings. You're reinvesting in those relationships. That, that talk 
that, that the, the speech, the encouraging talk is so vital. And they need to know that we're proud of them. We're, we're encouraging them. And folks, those are, those are important things in their lives. Matthew 3, 17, Jesus, God said to Jesus, said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Did God have to put that verse in scripture? Absolutely not. But it was important for the Son of God to understand his Father was pleased with his actions. And folks, I can tear up at times just thinking, I'm 46 years old, but I still enjoy hearing my dad say, I'm proud of you, son. You've, you've done well. You're doing a good job as a father or as, or as a husband or, or as a pastor. And folks, we need that. We need the encouragement of one another, encouraging talk. And folks, if it's important for the Son of God, it's important for our children to let them know how much it, it's the affirmation. The words of affirmation are encouraging in, in their relationship with God. So Pat, what's the, what's the application? Let your kids this morning know that they're loved. Let your kids know. Let them know that you're proud of them. 